Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I'm going to ask what feels like a weird question. Do you think the pandemic will end up being a boost to anti-vax sentiments like uh, people who aren't just vaccine hesitant, but are opposed to, you know, people getting them being required to get them? Do you think coronavirus will, you know, fuel their movement? Potentially. The message loud and clear. Their body, their choice. A message they're calling medical freedom. Some of the people concerned packed the lawn of the legislative building today, demanding support of a bill that offers protection for people who don't want to get the vaccine. Because we're seeing so much movement in the states. I have stated I am opposed to vaccine mandates. Trying to specifically target mandates for COVID shots, but it's so much more than that, too. Private companies that had hoped to make their customers prove that they've been vaccinated against COVID-19 may have trouble making that happen. Because uh, some of these pieces of legislation that have been introduced and that have actually advanced and passed in some places would limit the public health authorities of the governors of the public health departments in these states where, say, there's a bad measles outbreak in the future or a foodborne illness outbreak. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today I'm Lauren Gardner and I cover the FDA for Politico. Lauren Gardner on the political and legislative mainstreamification of anti-vaxxers. So historically, the anti-vaccine movement has been split between factions of the political left and the political right. Mm. You know, you have uh, folks in places like uh, California, for example, who for whatever health or environmental reasons that they've come across, they they don't think that vaccines are safe for their children. Um, And we've seen things like measles outbreaks. The measles outbreak at Disneyland has proven it's a small world after all. Health officials now say 26 cases in four states have been linked to visits to the park in mid-December. Of those infected, more than half were not vaccinated. Um, And on the political right, a sense of not wanting the government to dictate how um, the sorts of health decisions that someone makes for them and their family. Mm -hmm. A lot of the anti-vaccine fervor of the last few decades stems back to a, a scientific paper that has since been debunked that uh, attempted to link vaccinations to autism in children. And that's been, like I just said, thoroughly debunked, but it still took hold uh, among some folks who saw that as an explanation for why their children or people they knew were diagnosed with, with that condition. And it's just kind of snowballed over over the ensuing years. So now you're reporting that that snowball is kind of picking up steam again as we try to vaccinate the full population, in part because of new laws or new legislation that's being considered at the state level that involve things like vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. Where are we seeing these legislative pushes? Um, you're seeing it mostly in the South Uh and kind of spreading further West. 
Um, at least six states have enacted legislation that would limit any sort of mandates for people to get COVID shots. Arkansas, Florida, Montana, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Utah, uh, those places have have passed those policies. Mm -hmm. There are certain states where um, anti-vaccine PACs, political action committees, have gained a lot of influence over the last several years. Um, Texas and Oklahoma come to mind. Governor Greg Abbott announced he is issuing an executive order that prohibits government mandated vaccine passports in the Lone Star State. And so those are the places where you've seen Republican legislators in particular in those state houses embrace putting forward these sorts of bills to um, to limit the ability of whether it's a business or a state government or what have you to require uh, certain vaccinations from from the public. Reading your story, it's also interesting how their health experts you talk to worried that this isn't just anti-vaccine sentiment fueling politics, fueling these new legislative pushes, but also the opposite, like kind of a cycle where politics have fueled anti-vaxxers during COVID in a way and sort of mainstreamed the controversy. Yeah. So early on in the pandemic, you you definitely saw the anti-vaccine movement kind of take advantage of the anti-masking, anti-social distancing movements that popped up in probably every state, but obviously some more than others, and kind of mind-melded with those groups to further seed their message. Mm -hmm. Over the last few years, with the rhetoric that came out of the Trump administration that sowed some doubt into the minds of some voters about the safety and efficacy of specifically the COVID vaccines, it, it kind of created this perfect storm for more people in states where there's already some questioning of authority of government and also Republican state legislators who are hearing these arguments more on the conservative news outlets that they take in and even the somewhat more mainstream ones like, say, Fox News. How many Americans have died after taking the COVID vaccines? It's not Americans who've been killed by the virus. That's a huge number. It's how many Americans have died after getting the vaccines designed to prevent the virus. Do you know the answer to that question? Do you know anything about the downside? We know a lot about the upside of vaccines. We've been completely in favor of vulnerable people taking vaccines. But what about the potential risks? You hear Tucker Carlson, you know, questioning the safety of vaccines. It's going to become more of a mainstream thought in those populations. And yeah. you definitely saw that happen over the course of the last year as the the mass and the distancing was first up on, on the docket for people because that's what we were dealing with first off. And, and now that we have vaccines to address the novel coronavirus, now it's kind of, it's shifted back to that original, for, for these groups anyway, their original point, which is, that they don't want to see people being, quote unquote, forced to get these shots. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's like taking sort of like a fringe medical argument and attaching it to culture war political issues. Right, exactly. Do you think this is going to stick around? Because we are seeing data that correlates areas with more vaccinations to fewer cases and vice versa. And of course, these vaccines statistically are very safe and incredibly effective, can the politics of it all stand up to the data? 
Well, I, I think a lot of the wariness around receiving the COVID vaccine that exists among people who are who who are questioning, not not people who want to get it but just but can't for various logistical reasons or what have you, um, is that the the shots themselves are still authorized under emergency use authority by uh, by the FDA, so they haven't been formally approved. That doesn't. Obviously, that does not mean that these vaccines are unsafe. To the contrary, they've been proven to be very safe and effective. But because they haven't been fully licensed by the FDA, a lot of um, these groups have seized on that and promoted that as, you know, this is a reason not to do it because it isn't even formally greenlit by the FDA. Um, so it will be interesting to see how those arguments shapeshift once FDA does uh, fully license these vaccines as as they're expected to. Um, the first on deck expected anyway is Pfizer because they they applied for full licensure a few weeks ago. Mm. But that that's been a big part of it. I think is that people people have taken that um, the the quote unquote status of the vaccine if you look at it that way and and called it experimental. Um, and, and some of the bills that you see in the states have specifically referenced not mandating vaccines that are authorized for emergency use. So it's very specific to the moment that we're in. But then there are also plenty of other states that have put forward these bills and in some cases passed them that are much more broadly written and, and don't even just talk about vaccines, but those public health authorities I mentioned earlier. Lauren Gardner, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today, the White House has unveiled nine nominees for ambassadorships, including for Israel, NATO, and Mexico. The names consist of five political appointees and four career government officials. Someone expected Biden to release the slate last month, but vetting and other issues delayed the announcement, which comes as Biden holds a summit with Russia's Vladimir Putin today. Tom Nides, a banking executive and former deputy secretary of state, will be named for the spot in Jerusalem, while Julianne Smith, a longtime foreign policy advisor to Biden, is up for the NATO position in Brussels. Ken Salazar, a former U.S. Interior Secretary, is being nominated for the Mexico City job. And... President Biden plans to elevate Amazon critic and anti-monopoly advocate Lena Khan to chair the Federal Trade Commission. Sources familiar with the White House's plans confirmed the move to Politico hours after the Senate confirmed Khan to a seat on the commission on Tuesday by a 69 to 28 vote. The surprise move gives progressive Democrats both the reins and a majority at the antitrust agency, spurring hopes among critics of Silicon Valley's giants for a new assertiveness from the FTC, which is already pursuing an antitrust probe of Amazon and waging a lawsuit that seeks to break up Facebook's social networking monopoly. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch includes music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing on the show and want more, be sure to check out the Dispatch Plus bonus content available exclusively to premium subscribers on Apple Podcasts. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.